to One Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Amen. Amen. What an awesome song uh, as we are worshiping the Lord. I love that song uh, and that line, even when I don't see it, you're working. And what a declaration of faith that I believe is so needed in this season. Uh, You know, in the natural, uh, we can all see challenges. And I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what difficulties are in your life and in your way this morning. But the good news is this, that Jesus is the way maker, that he is the one that makes a way where there is no way. He makes a road in the wilderness and a river in the desert. And so I pray today that your heart is stirred with faith, that as we move ahead in this year, that God has great things for us. And so I just want to pray for you that God would uh, fill your heart with faith today, uh, even as we gather together around the word. And so Father, we thank you, Lord, uh, for this atmosphere of worship, God, as we are lifting up your name, God, as we are declaring your power, your greatness, Father. Thank you, Lord, that it's out of a heart of faith and expectation. And so, Lord, we pray today you'd fill us with faith, fill us with uh, a sense of excitement, Lord, over what you are doing. God, I just pray right now, Lord, over every person that's facing difficulty, Lord, perhaps in the natural, impossibility. But Father, thank you, Lord, that although with man things are impossible, God, thank you that with you nothing is impossible. And so, Father, I pray that you'd stir faith, vision, expectation, Lord, in our hearts, God. Let burdens lift off of people today in your presence. God, we ask you to now speak to us from your word. Uh, Build our hearts and and spirits in faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, uh, everybody. Great to see you this morning. And I know I'm not seeing you physically, but in my heart, I'm looking at you this morning. I'm seeing uh, every person, every family, uh, every house church in our community. Uh, I'm seeing those that are watching online. And uh, we're just so glad that you are with us today. And um, uh, we're also looking forward to, I'll mention this, and if you have your Bible, you can grab it while I'm talking and turn to Matthew chapter 6, or actually Mark chapter 6, I'm sorry. Uh, But we are so excited because we are getting ready to resume regular gatherings next month at the Winter Park Community Center. Some of you know, uh, just because of restrictions, we've not been able to regather at the Orlando Museum of Art where we were pre-COVID. We've been looking for an opportunity and we have found the opportunity at the Winter Park Community Center. Now that's not our permanent solution, uh, but it is a next step forward. So we are gonna begin meeting there bi-weekly on March 7th, first Sunday of March. I wanna encourage you, get ready, come together, come ready to receive from God. And we're gonna do that bi-weekly and uh, we will be there for Easter on April 4th. So go ahead and mark your calendars for that. Lots of great things coming up. But today, um, I want to continue our vision series that we uh, do typically every year. We start the year off with a time of prayer and fasting, seeking the Lord. And then in the month of February, uh, we share kind of a vision focus. You know, we don't change our vision every year. If you've been a part of our community for any period of time, you know that our vision is really Jesus's commission to make disciples. 
And so our vision is to live the Jesus life together, to be followers of Jesus that reproduce followers of Jesus, ultimately to transform the world around us. And so that is our vision, to live the Jesus life together. But every year, I just take some time to seek the Lord for a focus in that vision. Uh, Just as when you look across, uh, you know, perhaps a beach or some beautiful, expansive landscape, you see the, the greatness of the vision. And our vision is a big vision. But you also can focus in. And I I believe that God wants us to focus uh, this year. And the the phrase that the Lord put in my heart or the verse that the Lord put in my heart is really out of Matthew chapter 6. Verse 16, it says, uh, You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And, you know, if there's ever been a time that the world needs light, it's now. And we are the light. We are the salt of the earth. And I love the way the message version puts it. It says, keep open house, live generous lives, and you'll cause people to open up to your generous Father in heaven. And so that's kind of the vision theme that we are rallying around this year. Keep open house. And I don't know about you, but I love that. Keep open house, live a generous life, Uh, not just as a church, but personally in our families. Uh, Be open-handed, open-hearted, care for the needs of others. Don't turn inward, don't close off. And you know, the truth is that the enemy would love to close the church. The enemy would love to cause us to shut down. There's been a lot of conversation in this season about church closures. In fact, even to the Supreme Court, uh, it has been uh, determined whether or not states can close churches. And I'm so glad that we live in a country that has the freedom to gather, to worship God. And we're so excited to get to exercise that freedom again on a regular basis. But I just want you to know that ultimately the government can never shut the church. The government can't shut the church because Jesus said he'd build the church. And when Jesus says he builds the church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it, I want you to know the government can't shut the church. Now, what can hinder the church is division. What can hinder the church is self-centeredness and pride or, or perhaps immorality. There's things within that can hinder the church, but the church can't be stopped. And so even as in this time, when the world is so dark, And the temptation of the church can be to draw back, to to lock the doors, to pull the blinds, to turn the lights off and act like nobody's home. I believe God's calling us to keep open house, to open up, to let our light shine, not just on Sunday, but every day, not just in one place, but across our whole community and beyond across the world. And so as we were beginning this year, I was praying, God, what do you want us to do? God, uh, what is 2021 going to look like? 2020, we would have never imagined that it looked the way it did, but um, although at the beginning of the year, the Lord put the phrase in my heart in 2020, uh, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And so we, we actually did that. But I was saying, God, what do you want us to do, Lord? We, we love gathering. We want to be back together. We want a building. God, is it that? Uh, but Lord, we also love house church. We love what you're doing. We're seeing lives changed in house church. Uh, There's people that have joined us in house church that were never a part of our community pre-COVID. And Lord, is it online? Lord, we have such an unlimited potential to reach so many people. And we've seen people come to you through church online. 
And I was just wrestling, Lord, what is it that you've called us to? And I felt like the Lord said, it's all of it. It's all of it. And immediately I had four, I had a picture of a home with four spaces just drop into my mind. I felt like it was from the Lord. And these four spaces were the porch, the family room, the table, and the bedroom. And it came to me immediately. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this is the spaces I'm calling you into. You see, the porch is the public space. It's on the porch that we interact with our neighbors and that we interact with the people around us. We love our neighbors on the porch and God's calling us to love our neighbors as a church, not just to keep to ourselves, but to reach the world around us. That's why I love the potential of church online because we can let our light shine around the world. Uh, But also we're doing that through Alpha. Alpha is about creating space where people who are far from God can come into an environment where they can experience life with God. It's kind of like sitting on the front porch and just having a conversation. You know, on on the front porch, I love to say it this way, that um, or in in God's house, that um, neighbors become friends, friends become family, and family is the future. And I felt like the Lord put that in my heart. That's what He wants to do. He wants to bring uh, neighbors to become friends, friends to become family, and family to be the future. God's plan to change the world is through multiplying spiritual sons and daughters. And so we need to be on the porch. We need to let our light shine. We need to love our neighbors. We need to love the community around us. Again, we're doing that through Alpha. We've had the opportunity not just to run Alpha and not just to do it online in this season, but we've actually been asked to be an Alpha hub church. And we have been uh, given the responsibility to now teach other churches how to do Alpha. What an incredible privilege that it is. We are influencing other churches uh, through what we're doing on that front porch space. But ultimately, and, and another thing that we're doing uh, that you've heard about is that we're launching a foster care ministry. What are we doing? We're loving people around us. We're bringing people in that in the natural, you know, we're not part of a biological family or in our biological family, but we bring them in. And there's people in our church, families in our church, they're opening their homes And, you know, God may be calling more of you to do that. But even for those of us who perhaps God isn't calling to do that, all of us have the responsibility to care for those in need. And so that really is what we do on the porch. But it's not enough just to stay on the porch. God wants to bring us into the house. And the next space is the the family room. And in the family room, we come together. It's that family togetherness atmosphere. And, you know, in church, I would say that's the, that's the church gathering. That's the space where, as the book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. You know, there's moments at my house where we say, all right, uh, the kids have been playing outside with the neighbors and all of that. We say, okay, Johnson's come on in. We gather together. We get together. And there's moments where the church needs to be together. And we believe it's essential for the church to gather And uh, so we look forward to being back together and we're also actively, weekly, daily, looking for a building that can be a big family room for our church to get together. Not because a church is a building, but because like a family uh, needs a home, a church needs a place where we can just gather together. So we're so excited. We're going to be sharing more information with you about that. But it's not enough just to gather. The next space is the table. 
And that's really what I want to speak to you about today, the table. You see, it's at the table, which is really a small group environment. At the table, we are fed. At the table, we grow. At the table, every person belongs. Every person matters. Every person has a, a, a place of uh, contribution. And, you know, even in the natural, uh, it's so important to gather together as a family. And so um, de- during this season, perhaps one of the benefits that we have recognized as a church is the essential nature of the table or a small group, as we've called it in this season, house church groups. And we believe that is, as a large gathering is essential, a small group, a house church gathering around the table, a community where we can know each other, love each other, care for each other is essential. And, you know, in this season of COVID, um, families have rediscovered the value of eating together. I know now restaurants are back open and people are going out, which I'm so grateful for. Uh, But especially in the early months of this uh, COVID season, we rediscovered the value of eating together as a family. And uh, there's all kinds of benefits to eating together as a family. You know, even a, a realtor would tell you, or somebody that works in real estate selling homes would always tell you that the kitchen is the heart of the home. Uh, kitchens are what sell houses. It's the heart of the home. It's the gathering place. It's the primary place where people come together and, and that you know it feels like family in the kitchen. And psychologists tell us there's all kinds of benefits for families eating together. There's physical benefits. When you eat together around the table as a family, uh, meals are more nutritious. Um, You you, uh, eat more intentionally. There's just better diet when you eat at home with your family. There's also uh, mental and emotional benefits. Um, Psychologists tell us that Children of families who eat together on a regular basis, four to five meals together as a family per week, uh, are less likely to suffer from depression, less likely uh, to fall into addiction and substance abuse. That children of families who eat together around the table on a regular basis perform better in school. In fact, um, one Harvard-trained therapist said this, that if more families ate together around the table, she would be out of work. Uh, What is she saying? She's saying, if we just ate together, if families were just families, it would change the world. And I believe that's true when it comes to the kingdom of God. I believe that's true when it comes to the church. And really, that's why Jesus Uh, used the table as his primary place for ministry. Jesus taught to the masses. He stood on the mountain and gave the Sermon on the Mount. But the primary place where Jesus taught his disciples, trained his followers, was around the table. Uh, Think about it this way, that Jesus really did his best work around the table. One commentator on the book of Luke says that throughout the whole book of Luke, Jesus is either coming to, heading to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. He was always between meals. And I don't know about you, but I love that about Jesus, that he loves to eat. Um, Even in his final act with his disciples, as he instituted what we call communion or the Lord's 
table, the Lord's Supper, it was a meal. What was he saying? That the table and eating together, specifically the, the Lord's Supper or communion, is not some optional add-on to church, but it is the center of the church. Church has to happen around a table. Again and again throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus using food to illustrate the kingdom of God. If you think about Jesus's first miracle, it was really a culinary miracle. He turned water into wine. Jesus uh, worked the miraculous catch of fish. Jesus ate with Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus's life was transformed. And I want to look today at perhaps the greatest uh, example of Jesus's work around the table in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and it's what has become known as the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. Now, it's actually not just feeding 5,000. It was 5,000 men plus women and children. So it is literally, um, it's not an overstatement to say it's probably more like 15,000. Huge number of people. But Jesus was inviting them all to the table. He was feeding them all. Because ultimately, the table is not about the food. The table is about the life we long for. It's not just about food. It's about life. That's why the psychologists and the sociologists say we need to get together, not just for physical nourishment, but for the quality of life that it produces. And, and so I want to look at this story in, in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 30 and it says this, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things they had done and what they had taught. Jesus had just sent out his apostles to go preach the gospel of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God had come near, life with God was available. And he said to them as they returned, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Notice they had been sent out to the public place, and now Jesus is bringing them into the intimate place, a private place to be with Jesus. And it says he, he brought them there to rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they didn't even have time to eat. That's an important thing to notice. The disciples had been giving, 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 serving, serving, serving. They came back, and they were hungry. They were tired, and Jesus is bringing them away to feed them, to nourish them, to refresh them. Verse 33, it says this, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them, and they came together to him. Now notice who is chasing who. Jesus isn't chasing the multitudes. The multitudes are chasing Jesus. Jesus influenced huge uh, crowds of people, but he never chased the crowds. He never chased the crowds. The crowds chased Jesus. And verse 34 says, and, when Jesus, uh, and Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, listen to this, and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and, the, the, uh, and already the hour is late. Send them away 
that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? Jesus, it's Sunday. Chick-fil-A is closed. We can't give them something to eat. Verse 38. But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five and two fish. And he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up the 12 baskets of fragments and of fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. There is a, a, an incredible story, perhaps the greatest uh, dinner party that's ever been thrown, uh, perhaps the greatest meal that has ever been given. Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children, 15, 20,000 people. And I love that phrase that says, Jesus was moved with compassion. Jesus, although he didn't chase the crowds, when he saw them, he was moved with compassion. That word compassion, it, it means, it's a compound word, co, which it means alongside and passion, compassion. He, he came alongside them and felt what they were feeling. And I, I love that, that Jesus cares about our needs. Uh, Jesus cares about our needs. And, and the table is really a picture that Jesus cares about our longings. He cares about our desires. And even as we read, it says that uh, he began to teach them, but then they became hungry. And notice that Jesus didn't say, well, you know, how unspiritual of you guys. How unspiritual. You know, can't you see that you're getting true spiritual food? Why do you have to eat? That's not how Jesus is. You see, Jesus said they're like sheep without a shepherd. Sheep need to eat. What's a shepherd's responsibility? A shepherd basically leads the sheep to a place to eat, watches them while they eat, and makes sure that, that no wolves come upon them, that they're able to eat. Why? Because he's meeting the need of his sheep. And I, I'm so glad to tell you that Jesus is our good shepherd. He cares about our needs. Maybe in this season, you feel emotionally drained. Jesus cares about your needs. Maybe you're having all kinds of financial instability and insecurity, and you're unsure what your job will look like. Let me tell you, Jesus cares about your needs. Maybe you feel like you have run dry. Maybe you feel like, you know, you, you are missing just gathering together with other people and you feel spiritually empty. You don't even know if God's hearing your prayer. Let me tell you, Jesus cares about your needs. He is our good shepherd. And at the table, Jesus feeds us. He gives us the life that we've always longed for. You see, the table is not about the food. The table is about the life. And this Miracle under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is the only miracle that is recorded in all 
four Gospels. It's the only miracle. Why? Because God is revealing something to us about life in the kingdom. You see, every sign or every miracle was always a sign to the kingdom. A miracle is not just to meet the need, although it does that, but it's pointing us to a sign. A sign points to something else. You know, if you uh, see, if you're driving down I-4 and you see, you know, 50 miles to Tampa, what is it telling you? That Tampa is nearby. And the same is true with signs and wonders throughout the Bible. It's revealing that we are entering into or revealing to us what it's like to live with God. And Jesus is showing us that life with God meets our needs. The life you've always longed for is life with God, and it happens around the table. And so I want to give to you today three things that I would say are lessons from the lunch. We don't know exactly what time they ate, but lessons with uh, lessons goes with lunch the best. So uh, let's go with lessons for lunch. Three lessons from this lunch. The first thing that I want you to see is this, that Jesus feeds people through people. Let me say that again. Jesus feeds people through people. Notice what Jesus said when the disciples came to him. And they said, Jesus, there's these thousands of people. They're hungry, um, you know, but you were just getting ready to feed us, Jesus. Remember, the disciples had not eaten themselves. They're getting a little hangry. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, there's all these people. They're getting hungry. What did they tell him to do? They said, send them away. In other words, they said, Jesus, uh, this is not my problem. Not my problem. Have you ever met somebody with the not my problem mentality? Uh, They don't really care about other people as long as their needs are met. Well, that's what the disciples were feeling. They had just poured themselves out. They had given in ministry. They're exhausted. They're empty. And they're going, Jesus, uh, feed me. Send these people away. And I want you to notice what Jesus says in verse 37. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. How did Jesus feed the 5,000 or the 15 or the 20 or however many it was? Jesus fed the people through his people. That's how Jesus meets the needs of the world through us, through his people. And basically what Jesus was saying to his disciples is, yes, I know you're hungry. Yes, I know that you have needs, but the way that your needs will be met is not by being just a consumer, but by being a contributor. You see, Jesus calls us to be followers first, but then he turns around and tells us to become leaders ourselves. He calls us to himself to receive from him, and then he turns around and tells us to contribute to other people, to go make disciples ourselves. And that's where these disciples were. They had gotten used to just coming to Jesus. They loved Jesus. Jesus met their needs. Jesus provided for them. And now there's some other people coming and they're saying, Jesus, send them away. We just want to be with you. We want you to feed us. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. You feed my sheep. Jesus feeds people through people. I remember when I was a kid one time, probably about six or seven years old. I remember going to my dad. I said, Daddy, 
because I ca called him daddy, which I'm trying to get my kids to still call me daddy as opposed to dad as long as possible, but that's another thought for another time. But I said, dad or daddy, uh, do I have to move out of your house? And I'll never forget his words. He said, no, son, you don't ever have to move out. But he said, the day will come that you will want to move out. Well, at six or seven years old, I didn't want to move out. But when it came to 16, 17, 18 years old, there began to be some divine desires that were stirred in my life that motivated me to want to move out. And I'm glad to tell you today that I have been out of my parents' house as long as I was in their house. And I want you to see that's the heart of God. What was my dad saying? You don't ever have to move out. He's saying, son, I'm always going to love you. I'm always going to be here for you. But my goal as a father is not just to have you as a son. My goal as a father is to turn you into a father. I don't want to keep you as a dependent forever. How many of you know when kids are little, they're going to be a dependent? In fact, when they're uh, an infant and when, when they're young, everything they have, you've got to give it to them. They are completely dependent upon us. But if you've got a 38-year-old who is still a dependent upon you, you don't have a child, you have a problem. And that's what Jesus is saying to these people, to his disciples, you've been with me, I've been feeding you, I've been meeting your needs, and I'm always going to care for you. I'm always going to meet your needs. But I want to teach you something right now, that the greatest joy will not come, the greatest satisfaction will not, will not come, the greatest life will not come through what you consume, but through what you contribute to others. Let me tell you this, one church park district, you will never experience everything that God has for you by sitting on a pew on a Sunday. As good as it is, as important as it is, as much as I love teaching you, my goal is not just to teach you, my goal is to turn you into a teacher of others. The book of Hebrews says it this way, by now, you ought to be teachers but you need somebody to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. I love teaching. I love leading. The reality is the only way I'm able to do that is because somebody else taught me, trained me. I'll never forget the people that imparted into my life. I could tell you about the Sunday school teachers that taught me. I could tell you about the small group leaders that invested into me. What, why am I saying that? Because I want you to see that Jesus feeds people through people. And God is calling us, even in this season, to recognize that he's wanting to shift us from being dependent to being a spiritual provider for other people. I want to say this with all the love in my heart for you, that if you have been a follower of Jesus for any period of time, God is wanting to turn you from a dependent into a provider. Practically speaking, you don't need to just receive anymore, although God will always provide. And we're going to see that, what he does for the disciples a little bit later. But if you've been in church for any period of time, you should not be dependent on church. 
I love church. I'm more churchy than anybody in the church. I'll tell you that. I love it more than anybody. I'm more excited to be back together than anybody. But what makes a gathering awesome is not when there's one or two people bringing something to the table and a bunch of spiritual dependents coming. What makes church exciting is when there's a whole bunch of people that have been with God in the intimate place, that have been providing and caring and loving for others in the personal space around the table. And then we come together like a big family potluck where everybody's bringing something to the table. Jesus feeds people through people. And God is calling some of you to move from being a dependent to being a provider. Practically speaking, God's calling some of you from being in a group to leading a group, from sitting in a seat to serving others, to teaching others, to preaching to others. And so Jesus feeds people through people. We look at the world around us and we can say, somebody ought to do something. Jesus, you should do something. Somebody ought to do something. Here's what I've realized. If you say in your heart, somebody ought to do something. Here's what I've realized. Jesus says, you're that somebody. You're the guy. You're the girl. I'm calling you. You give them something to eat. I want to tell you, one church park district, again, all the love, all the sensitivity, all the pastoral care in my heart. God wants to call us to a higher place. God wants to call us to a greater place of maturity. Yeah, it's not always easy. There's moments where I feel like I'd like to just go back and sleep in my parents' house and eat my parents' food. But the place of maturity is not in what I consume, but in what I contribute. God's calling us to be people who feed people. Number one, Jesus feeds people through people. Number two, Jesus works with what we've got. Jesus works with what we've got. The first thing Jesus says is, you feed them. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? A denarii would be about a day's wage. So they're saying this is, you know, almost a year's worth of salary to feed all of these people. Jesus, we don't have we don't have what we need to feed these people. You're saying to me, feed them. And I'm saying to you, I don't have what I need. Now, the other gospels say this, that Jesus said that to them to test them because he knew what he was going to do. If Jesus ever asks you to do something that you feel like you can't do, let me tell you this. It's not because he doesn't know what you have and don't have. He's not in the dark. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I'm shocked. Jesus is testing you. If Jesus tells you to do something, you say, I don't have, Jesus, have you seen my schedule? I don't have time to do that. Uh, if Jesus asks you to do something, Jesus, I don't know if you have seen my bank statement lately, but I can't afford to do what you're telling me to do. But we've got it all wrong. Jesus is never asking us to do it in our own ability. He's testing us to see if we have a willingness God doesn't work with the able. He works with the willing. He works with people that will just say, God, everything I have is yours. I know what I have doesn't feel like it's enough, but I'm just bringing everything I have to you. And notice what they said. They said, Jesus, we've got two fish and five loaves. The book of John adds this refrain, but what are they among so many? You see, when you look at the world around you, 
and the need of the world around us, we can be left with that as the lingering refrain in our mouths. God, I don't have what I need. I don't have what I need. And Jesus says, yeah, you're exactly right. You don't have what you need. But if you will take what you have and you will bring to me what you have, all you have is all you need to meet the need in the world around you. They said, Jesus, we just have two fish and, two, and five loaves. And he said, bring them to me. And he broke them. And he gave it back to them. And somehow, miraculously, in the process of the blessing and the breaking, there was a multiplication that happened. And there was such an abundance. The Bible says there was 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets left over. Now, let me ask you a little Bible quiz question. How many apostles were there? How many disciples were there? There was 12 disciples. How many baskets were left over? There was 12 baskets left over. Is that a coincidence? Nothing with God is a coincidence. What was God showing? If you will meet the need of others, I'll provide an abundance for you. You see, if we live with a lack mentality, what we have will never be enough. But if we live with an abundance mentality, we will have enough to care for others and an abundance for ourselves. You see, if they had just kept on with and kept what they had, two fish and five loaves, they would have broken it, distributed it, everybody would have gotten a few bites. A lot of Christians live their lives that way. I don't have what I need. I'm just barely getting by. I'm spiritually hungry. I don't have time to spend time with God. I don't have time to serve other people. I can't go to a small group. That's two meetings a week. I don't have time for that. God, have you seen my calendar? Give, be generous, meet the needs of others. I can't do that. I'm overwhelmed myself. And God's saying, give me what you've got and I will multiply it. Theologians call that the principle of reciprocity that what you give to others will come back multiplied times to you. Why? Because the God we serve is the God of abundance. Jesus was testing them. Was there a willingness? God will work with the willing. God works with the willing. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says this about being generous. He says this, he's, he's, he's receiving an offering from the church in Corinth. And he says, if there's first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life to the level of what I have. I don't have enough finances to meet the needs of the world around me. I don't have enough time to meet the needs of the world around me. But what I do have is a willingness Years ago, Jennifer and I said yes to God. We don't even know the fullness of the question, but we're just saying, God, whatever you want, everything we have is yours. Our time is yours. Our years are yours. Our money is yours. Our strength is yours. Everything we have is yours. And here's what we found. When we've given everything we've got to God, we have never gone without I want to encourage you, one church park district, don't draw back in faith. Bring what you've got to God and he will multiply what you have. When you put what you have in the hands of Jesus, all you have is all you need to meet the needs of the world 
around you. Jesus feeds people through people. Jesus works with what we've got. And the third lesson from the lunch I want you to see is this, that Jesus feeds people in groups. Notice how Jesus fed the people. He didn't feed them personally. He divided them. In fact, verse 39 says, Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. He commanded them, sit down in groups. Jesus commanded them to get into groups. He didn't feed them personally. He was multiplying himself into his disciples. He was saying, I don't want you to just be dependent. I want you to now be a contributor to others. Then what does that look like? I'm going to multiply you out into groups. You see, that's the New Testament pattern of the church is gatherings. Everybody come together and then breaking into groups. And notice Jesus fed them by breaking apart the bread and giving it to them. In other words, he was breaking it down in groups. And every single one of us need to be in a group. Jesus, yes, he feeds us in the intimate space, but we will never experience the fullness of God's life for us on our own. You see, there was people that could have said, I'm not sitting in a group. I don't want to be in a group. Jesus, feed me. Jesus, if you love me, take care of me. I'll be over here by myself. I'll have a personal dining experience with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, that's not how you're fed. I'm going to feed you in groups. You need a group. You need a group. Psychologists, sociologists affirm what the Bible has said since the beginning of creation. It's not good for man to be alone. God wants us to be in community, to be around the table, as great as a gathering is, as great as coming together. And I can't wait to get back together in March on a regular basis. But as great as that is, it will never meet the need that you have. It will never cause you to experience everything that God has for you. You need a group. And so I want to encourage you, every one of us, to be in a house church group. We've had in this season seven house church groups. I'd like to see us have 10 house church groups. Why? So that we have enough room for everybody to be in a group. Why? Because Jesus feeds people in groups. He feeds us in groups. Notice what the Bible says. He had them sit down on the grass in groups. In other words, it was grass uh, roots level groups where people were fed. Jesus does his best work on the ground. Jesus does his best work. Yes, we need to go to the mountain. Yes, we need to go to that place where we see his glory, but he brings it down to where we live. That's why I love getting together in people's houses. Why? Not because everything should always be in homes. We can't wait to have a building of our own and a place where we can gather. But ultimately, Jesus wants to bring his life, his presence into our homes where we live our daily lives. Now, the problem with that is when you sit down on the ground, things get dirty. And that's true. Groups are messy. As long as it's just me and Jesus, 
Uh, I think everything is okay. The problem is actually me. Jesus is perfect. I'm not. But where two or more are gathered, there's problems in the midst. And so groups will be messy. Groups are messy. Once I start hearing from other people, I'm going to start recognizing they can offend me. They get on my nerves. They never bring anything to the table. They come and eat my food and never contribute anything. They, their kids go wild in my house. All of those things. Well, it's called real life. Welcome to real life. Where you have people, you will have problems, but that's the very place that God is maturing us into fully developed followers of Jesus. When you sit on the ground, you get dirty. And that's what happens. Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to feed you on the ground. I want, you to, I want to get down to where you live. I want to get down to that grass roots, ground level place. God feeds us, meets our needs, cares for our daily needs at that grassroots level. You know, some of us are starving because we're unwilling to be in a group. Not because Jesus doesn't love us, but because he, he wants to feed us in a group. Maybe practically you have needs that have not been met. Maybe it's because nobody knows the needs or maybe you have nobody close enough to you to care for your needs. And so you are exhausted because you'll never get into a group where people can know you, love you, care for you, help you, serve you, challenge you, correct you, and you can do the same to them. Jesus feeds us in groups. And I want to encourage you even during this season as much as we need to be careful and, you know, I understand all of the challenges of, you know, keeping um, proper boundaries so that we don't get sick and follow CDC guidelines. I know the CDC gives guidelines, but God's word also gives guidelines that it's not good to be alone. Don't get isolated. You will starve spiritually. We, we don't want anybody to get sick, but we also don't want people to starve spiritually because they've, they've found themselves in isolation. You need a group. You need to be together. You need people that know you, love you, care for you, pray for you, help you, lift you up when you're weak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his beautiful little book called Life Together. He said this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. You see, sometimes even in the church, we can live in a dream world of community. Our community, our picture of community can be more like an Instagram post. Perfectly curated, light just right, filter spot on. And it's beautiful, but it's not real life. And in a group, we, we discover real life, real challenges the person that loves the dream of community will not only miss out on community, they will destroy community, but the person who loves those around them will create community. And I want you to know in this season where people have been socially distanced and even isolated, we need each other like never before. As much as I love what we're doing through online church, you can never have church by yourself. You need a community. As much as I love gathering, we can never have church just in a crowd. God will draw us into a gathering, but then he'll break us into groups. You need a group. You may say, well, I don't have time. Give God what you've got. 
and he will multiply what you have. Some of you in this season need to step into a place of leadership. You need to hear what Jesus said to his disciples. You feed them. As I was preparing this message, I I felt this. I was planning to encourage people to be in groups. And I am again. I'm saying, hey, find a group. Be in a group. Uh, If you don't have a group, fill out the connection card on our website. We'll help you to find a group. We're multiplying groups, starting new groups. Even as we're gathering, don't say in your mind, okay, we can, we're gathering, so no more groups. We're going to continue to meet together because it's the New Testament model. It's what Jesus taught and modeled. But I felt as I was preparing this message that God wanted me to speak to some of you that you have been in it, but you need to now lead it. You have been receiving, but now you need to, you need to lead. You need to contribute And maybe you feel like you don't have enough. First of all, I'll say this. We as a church and as leaders will train you. We will help you. We'll equip you. We'll support you. More than that, Jesus will help you. He will train you. He will equip you. But the greatest joy of life will never come through what you receive, but what you contribute to others. And God is calling us into that place. He's calling us, come to the table. I want to feed you. I want to give you the life you've always longed for. Would you pray with me today? Father, I thank you, Lord, for every person in our community. God, those in house church, those watching online, those gathered with family, with friends, God, those near and far, thank you for every person. And Jesus, thank you that you are calling us to the table. You're calling us to the place where we can experience life the way we've always longed for it, life together in community. God, I pray in the season where it's so easy to become disconnected, where it's so easy to drift off or even to just become a spiritual consumer, God, I pray you would call us into the greater place of community, connectedness together. I thank you for it. Lord, I pray right now you would whisper into the hearts of people, those that perhaps have been in church for years, feed my sheep, care for my flock, shepherd my people. Thank you, Father, that you are a good shepherd. You give us everything we need. We ask you, God, to feed our hearts, feed our souls. Lord, we have tasted and seen that you are good. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I want to give you a special announcement. Uh, On Sunday night, February 28th, uh, that's next Sunday, we are going to be having a special team family night. Uh, That is a chance for our uh, core of our church to gather together. And we're going to be doing it online so that it's accessible to everybody. And we're going to be talking about how are we functioning as a church moving forward, even as we regather and continue in groups. And so I want to encourage you to join us next Sunday for that. There's more information if you go to the events page on our website at ocparkdistrict.com slash events. You can also sign up for Alpha Online. Don't forget, you can join us for the marriage course. It's already kicked off, but not too late to jump in. We hope you'll join us and we can't wait to see you there. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.